Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. My name is Nathan Tucky. I'm the lead pastor here at Southridge Community Church. And it is great to have you with us on this windy and blustery uh, Friday evening. So thank you so much for joining us. Probably just about every one of us in this room is going to have some sort of Christmas dinner, whether it's tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, somewhere in there. Food is a very prominent part of how we do celebrations. Uh, How many of you are ham people on Christmas holiday? How many ham people out there? Number of ham people? Awesome. How many of you are turkey people out there? How many many turkey people do we have? Yeah, a little, maybe a little repeat of Thanksgiving, right? Turkey dinner. How many of you have some other sort of like thing that you do? Anybody want to shout it out? Kind of what you do? Fish? Vegan? Meatball sauce? Yeah, awesome. Uh, Food is an integral part of the way that we celebrate. It's how we do life. We obviously need food every day to sustain our lives. Uh, But even beyond what we need to sustain our lives, uh, food permeates celebration. It often accentuates seasons of well-being, graduations, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, different kinds of holidays. Uh, If you've been around Southridge, you know that one of our passions here is the storyline of Scripture from beginning to end. We often say that we are story-formed creatures. Stories shape our lives. We don't simply live in a vacuum. Stories shape who we are, the stories of our past. In fact, my guess is probably this Christmas holiday, a number of people We'll get those little ancestry kind of tests where you do blood tests or whatever you do to figure out what your ancestral story is. Stories are important to who we are. And so we say all the time here at Southridge that the Bible is actually one single story. It's not simply snippets of encouragement or McNuggets of inspiration. It's a single story. And believe it or not, the theme of eating and food is prominent throughout that story. In the first couple of chapters of the Bible, again, a book that we think of being as very religious, in the first couple chapters of the Bible, God talks about food. Just a couple of chapters from the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation that we're looking at on Sunday morning, It ends with food. And so the storyline of Scripture has everything to do with eating, which I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me happy and kind of connects with my own personal reality. All the way in the beginning, when God creates Adam and Eve, he says this to them. This is Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter, God talks about food. He says, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours 
for food. God talks about food. But God also gives a little boundary in terms of how they interact with food. He says, you can eat of all of these trees in the garden, but there's a couple of trees that you're not allowed to eat of. And he actually gives Adam and Eve somewhat of a test as to whether or not they're going to be loyal and follow after him. And he gives them an eating test. It's interesting that God did not say, hey, here's your test. Don't walk over to that part of the garden. God did not say, and maybe you sometimes say this in your home to your kids, hey, don't run. Like that wasn't the test. The test wasn't don't run. The test wasn't don't walk over into this part of the garden. The test wasn't, hey, if you're going to pass the test, you've got to jump this high. No, the test had to do with eating, and eating is central from beginning to end. Why is that? Because baked into the reality of eating, God was saying every time you eat, you're actually doing something physical that's a reminder of another way that I've created you. Uh, most of us in this room eat every day. Uh, probably just about all of us, multiple times a day. Some of us probably eat more than we should. Eating daily sustains us. It's interesting that we don't just pull up it to a gas pump. That we, eating actually is an enjoyable experience. It's kind of a life-giving experience. It's a connecting experience. All of that is tied up into, in, into eating. And God says, every time you eat, it's actually a reminder that not only do you need physical food for your bodies, it's a reminder that behind your physical life, underneath your physical life, there's another kind of life that you have that you also need to have sustained. You live in relationship with me. I give you true life. I give you life for your soul. I'm the one who gives you joy and meaning and purpose and direction. I'm the God who gives you true life. And there's a reminder of that. Every time you eat physically, it's a reminder that your soul can only be filled with my presence as well. So what happens? God gives them the test and way, way back in Genesis. And instead, they choose to eat of this tree that God said they shouldn't eat. And as a result of that, they're banished from the garden. Here's the response in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. After Adam and Eve eat, says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Just lock that in your mind for a second. Lock that in your mind. It says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Just lock that word presence in your minds. So Adam and Eve eat, and when they eat, they're basically saying to God, we don't need you to sustain us. We'll find life on our own. We don't need your life to sustain our lives. We can live independently of that. 
Well, God actually, in a kind of object lesson, banishes them from the garden. Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So they're thrown out of the garden from the presence of God. They become separated from the life-giving presence of the holy God that created them. And here's the deal, friends. The story of Scripture is that ever since that moment, you and I have been separated from the life-giving presence of our Creator. You're separated. You're born into this world. I'm born into this world. Separated from the life-giving presence of the Creator. But the story doesn't just simply cut off there. Instead, God time and time again reminds his people that number one, he wants to sustain them and that it's his presence that's going to sustain them. If you remember, as you get a little further on into the Old Testament, the people of Israel are coming out of the nation of Egypt where they've been held in slavery. As they come out, they're wandering in this wilderness area. They're hungry. There's not enough to eat. And God sends this mysterious food, food, down from heaven. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 16. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread, food, which the Lord has given you to eat. So this mysterious stuff starts falling from heaven. So it's like, what is it? And God says, it's it's, it's bread. I've given you to eat of it. Later on in verse 31, it says this, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. There's going to be a slide up here in the screens that talks a little bit about manna. That manna is sort of made up of of two little Hebrew particles. The first is ma, kind of the, the Hebrew little particle that is basically a question, and na, which is an exclamation point. So so it's almost like the stuff that they saw on the ground, they called question mark exclamation point. What is it? What is it? But it was food. It was God saying to them, I'm going to sustain you physically. I'm providing for you food. But it's also a reminder that you need my presence. You're separated from me. But the story's not over. Later on, as the people of Israel continue to wander, God says to them, hey, I want you to build a temple or or tabernacle. Tabernacle was basically a movable tent. And that movable tent represented the presence of God. And so they were to build, to construct this tabernacle and it was supposed to move with the nation of Israel. And it was to remind them that God's presence was with them. Now, it's pretty obviously a pretty religious structure, but one of the primary components, one of the primary pieces of furniture in the tabernacle was, guess what? A table that had bread on it. A table that had food on it. 
Food is prominent in the Bible. God gives some instructions to Aaron, to the priests. And he says this in Exodus chapter 25, 30. You shall set, here it is, bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. It's called the bread of the presence. The word bread there is the word lakam. It's a Hebrew word. The word presence is the word panim. It actually can be translated presence, can also be translated face. Because when you're in somebody's presence, you're before their face. So it can actually be translated bread of face. But remember I told you to lock in that little phrase back in Genesis where it says, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they hid themselves from God's presence, his panim. He says to build a tabernacle now, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later. There's a table. There's bread. The bread is to remind them, yes, God is our provider physically. He provides for our food. But it's not just that. This is the bread of panim. This is the lechem, the bread of panim, the bread of God's presence, the bread of his face. And so over and over and over again, God is saying, I'm your provider. You need my presence. You're separated from my presence. My presence is what will give you life. My presence desires to be with you. Because you've disobeyed me, my presence can't fully be with you. But I am determined and I'm bent for my face, my presence to be with you, to give you life, to sustain you. This is the story of Scripture. Adam and Eve were created to need food in the beginning, just like their souls need the food of God's presence. They're thrown out of the garden. They're thrown out of God's presence, but it's still what they most need. So God places this table, this in a tabernacle, it's loaves of bread, and it's the bread, the lechem, of his presence, of his face, of his panim. He's determined, I want to be present with you once again. You need my presence. You need my life-giving presence with you. That brings us all the way to tonight. Matthew's gospel opens in the New Testament with Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. And interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew says four times in the first eight verses of Matthew's gospel that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is made up of kind of two components. One is Bet, that's house. The second one is Lechem. What does Lechem mean? We've already talked about it. It means bread. So when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he's actually born in the house of bread. It's a statement that God's sustaining presence is entering the world. When Jesus is born in Bethlehem's manger, 
The face of God shows up on earth in the person of Jesus. The face of God is born into a manger in the person of Jesus. And the face of God in the person of Jesus is the bread of heaven showing up on earth so that our lives can be sustained, so we can be reconnected to the God who once created us in the Garden of Eden to fellowship and connect and have life in him. You've heard some passages from Luke 2 read a little bit earlier. And notice a number of times that Luke mentions Bethlehem as well. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the house of bread, the tabernacle, the garden of Eden, food, sustenance, life being sustained. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Well, we're going to take two things from that storyline of Scripture. Ultimately, as I said, Revelation closes with a feast, with food. It's a picture of, once again, fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, of full provision physically, but also full provision spiritually, where now we're in the presence of God. We're in his panim. His face is toward us. His grace and his mercy and his love flow. Just two things that I want you to kind of take away from tonight that are pretty simple. Number one, you're starving. I'm starving. The message of Christmas is first kind of bad news. The message of Christmas is you're starving. Our world is starving. We're starving because we're separated from the presence of God. We can muffle that. We can try to substitute other things for it. But friends, the story of Scripture, the reality of God's truth is simply this. Because you're separated from his presence, you're starving. We can try to cover up our starving. We overeat. We overspend. We overwork. We seek power and control. We seek dominion. There's exploitation of the weak. We seek affirmation. We make ourselves appear bigger through tribal identities. We seek self-autonomy. We attribute glory, honor, praise to sports figures and influencers. We seek to become influencers. We overconsume. We minimize and diminish those who threaten us. All of those are simply indications that we're starving. The evil, the darkness, the wickedness in our world is an indication that we're starving. We fall far short of God's glory. And so the first thing I want you to deal with tonight is simply this. The message of Scripture is you're starving. You're separated from the panim. You're separated from the presence of God. 
And we can try all kinds of things to pretend that we're just fine, but Scripture says the reality is we're starving. You are made to live in the presence of God. But ever since Eden, we've been banished. And so we try numerous things to pretend that we're fine. Number one is you're starving. Number two is simply this. Jesus is bread. You're starving. But Jesus was born into the house of bread. And he was born to be bread for our souls. He was born as the face of God on earth. He was born as God's presence for us. In John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We need the bread of God's presence. We need the bread of God's love. We need the bread of relationship with God. We need the bread of forgiveness. We need the bread of grace. We need the bread of truth. Listen, friends, you are starving and you need bread. I am starving and I need bread. And Jesus comes as the bread. He comes as the one who sustains us, who gives us life, who reconnects us to the panim, the presence, the face of God, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It's uh, Sky Jitani, who's a writer. He says, uh, the moment that he realized that his son, his, I think it was, he was five years old, his son had an addiction to sugar, is he was actually at a baseball stadium. And he suddenly looked over, and he saw his son bent over on the baseball stadium concrete floor, licking the concrete because a funnel cake had sort of toppled off, and he was actually licking a clump of powdered sugar off of the concrete floor of a baseball stadium. Now, that probably gives you, like, the shudders, like, how can you possibly do that? But friends, listen, that's what it means to starve. He had to have sugar, so much so that he actually licks some powdered sugar off a baseball stadium floor. Listen, you need the presence of God. And the reality is human beings lick all kinds of stuff off the floor. We lick power. We lick lust. We lick greed. We lick consumption. We lick affirmation. We lick popularity. We lick off the floor. But only Jesus is the bread. And so what I would say to you on this Christmas is simply this. Jesus came as the panim, the face of God. He came as the lechem. He came as the bread of God. He came to reconnect us 
with the one that we were banished from in the garden. And my prayer is that wherever you are, that you would either refresh and re-embrace and renew that sense of, yes, Jesus, the presence of God is my life. Or if you've never done that before, to simply open your heart to the Panim, the presence of God. Say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to Bethlehem's manger. Jesus would grow up, live a sinless life, be crucified on a cross, take on himself the curse and evil and sin of darkness in our world. But he would be raised to life so that we could find life in the face of God. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to simply join with me as I do. Father, we thank you that you were born into Bethlehem's manger. That you came as the face of God. You came as the panim, the presence of God. Thank you that you are life. May we eat of you. May we eat of your grace, eat of your truth, eat of your love, eat of your mercy. And may we find life in your presence. Thank you for the picture of food. Thank you that you desire for us to flourish, to be sustained. And thank you that you are the one who ultimately sustains us. We ask that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Our team is going to come out and they're going to offer you a song. If you would like to sing it, you can. Uh, but you're certainly, you can remain seated. If you'd like to stand, you can, but you can remain seated. Simply a song that says, here comes heaven. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, heaven was reconnected with earth. The banishment of the Garden of Eden was being bridged. The presence, the face of God showed up on earth. The lechem, the bread of God, was offered to us. And so as they sing the song, simply enjoy it. Focus on the words. If you'd like to sing it, you may, but mostly the intent is just to let you hear it, to wash over you, to bask in the beauty and wonder of God's presence, his panim, his face of heaven coming to reconnect with earth.
service we're going to have our candle lighting and so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and they're going to light our candles from the front to the back and as the candlelight fills this room it's a reminder of the light of God's presence you know seeing a person's face enables you to identify who they are in the darkness you might have a guess by a voice, but you actually need light on someone's face to be able to identify who they are. When Jesus came as God's presence in Bethlehem, it was the light of God the face of God, the panim of God. Now we can see 
his face. Now we can see who he is. Now we can know grace and truth. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six says this. Listen to these words. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, listen, displayed in the face of Christ Jesus. In Bethlehem's manger, the panim of God, the face of God, the presence of God enters our world. The bread, the lechem of God enters our world. We're given light to see the face of God. So let's stand together with our candles lit. And as the candlelight fills this room, let's sing this beautiful song of Silent Night as we celebrate the birth of God's presence, his panim, his face of Jesus, the face of God into this world that gives us light. Let's sing the song together as we hold our candles. Oh 
in this room it's the light of God's presence his panim piercing the darkness of our world we're going to take a moment to pray and as we often say for Christmas services it's probably best to pray with your eyes open so we're going to pray with our eyes open can look at the flickering light of your candle. You can look at the cross behind me. You can look at one of the Christmas trees. But let's pray to this God who came here in the person of Jesus. God, as we stand here in this moment, we confess that we're starving. We confess that we're banished from your presence. We confess that we fall short of your glory. We confess that our world is broken. Our world is in darkness. Our world is starving. We confess that's true, not just for our world out there, but for our own souls and spirits. We confess that we Overwork, we overaccomplish, we overdrink, we overeat, to try to muffle our own starvation. But God, here in this moment, we embrace the panim, we embrace the presence, we embrace the face of God and the person of Christ Jesus. May your presence through your death and resurrection fill the void in our lives. May we eat of you as the bread and be sustained by your presence even as we enjoy feasts and dinners the next few days. May your presence through your spirit fill our lives. 
May you give us love and joy and peace through your Holy Spirit and through the presence of Jesus. And Father, strengthen us and empower us to be slices of your presence in this world. That we would be your light to pierce the darkness around us. God, once again, we stand in this holy moment. We long for the day of Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22, when there will be a feast and your presence, your face will be fully with us. But we thank you tonight for your face in Bethlehem's manger and the house of bread. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. You can blow out your candles. Why don't you join us in singing this final song just as an anthem as we leave, as a celebration of the birth of our Savior. Born to give.
I just want to take a moment to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, just a couple of things. If you could do us a favor when you leave, if you could detach the candle from the holder, uh, there'll be different uh, containers out in the foyer for you to put each of them in. That would help us a lot, so thank you very much. Also, I want to simply thank our ushers, our greeters, our tech folks, the folks on the platform. If you could thank them for me, that'd be awesome. Well, I hope you have a safe and warm drive home. It's brutally cold out there. Merry Christmas and God bless.